Hebrews chapter 7. We have so much to cover tonight. It's been a wonderful journey studying the book of Hebrews, establishing the supremacy of the Lord Jesus Christ over the angels, over the uh, old covenant, much more glorious than Moses and the Aaronic priesthood. And so tonight we come to chapter 7, beginning from verse 1. The Bible says, For this Mechildesek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. Right there, we just need to take one quick pause. Now, if you remember in chapter 5 of Hebrews, Paul attempted to begin to get into Melchizedek. And then he said that it is so, uh, it is such a hard topic to bring up and that those guys were not developed or mature enough to even understand what he was speaking about. So he defied it. And so here we are, Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God. He met Abraham, returning from the slaughter of the kings, and blessed him. Uh, this is one of the most mysterious figures in all of the Bible, Melchizedek. Now, we can go back to this encounter in Hebrews 7.1, referencing his meeting of Abraham on the way when Abraham returned from the slaughter in Genesis 14, in verse 18. But let's just suffice, because of time tonight, let's just look at what we're looking at here. Melchizedek, king of Salem and priest of the Most High God, immediately, if you're a Bible scholar, you know that something is unique about this guy. Why? There was never anybody else in the, entire New in the entire Old Testament that was both a king and a priest at the same time. God deliberately separated those two offices. Kings and priests. Kings ruled, priests ministered. In fact, from biblical accounts, those who have attempted to combine those two functions had been judged by God instantly. First one that comes to mind, very familiar with King Saul, in 1 Samuel chapter 13, who was obviously ordained as king in Israel. Samuel the priest told him to wait for him at Gilgal for a sacrifice. Samuel was delayed. He didn't come up in time. What did King Saul do? He went and killed the animals and made the offering. And immediately he finished doing so. Samuel showed up and said, what in the world have you done now? If you read that account, the Bible said, as a result of that, from that day forward, God rejected Saul as king of Israel. Now, most people would think he lost his throne when he did not kill all the Amalekites. No, 
that was a public manifestation of something that was happening in his heart. First Samuel 13. Okay, let's just read it. Let's just read it. He usurped the authority he did not have. First Samuel chapter 13. Verse 9. So Saul said, bring a burnt offering and peace offerings here to me. And he offered the burnt offering. Now it happened, as soon as he had finished presenting the burnt offering, that Samuel came and Saul went out to meet him, that he might greet him. And Samuel said, what have you done? Saul said, when I saw that the people were scattered from me, and that you did not come within the days appointed, and that the Philistines gathered together at Michmash. Then I said, the Philistines will now come down on me at Gilgal, and I have not made supplication to the Lord. Therefore, I felt compelled and offered a bond offering. Now, isn't it amazing that Samuel did not have to consult God to offer the judgment? And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. Now, this is a priest talking to a king. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, for now the Lord will have established your kingdom over Israel forever, but now your kingdom shall not continue. Amen? Amen. That's the first person who usurped the authority of to combine being a king and being a priest. The next one is just as bad. Uzzah, King Uzzah. Second Chronicles chapter 26. Second Chronicles chapter 26. Now, it's important that I show you this because of where we're going with this message, with this teaching tonight. Second Chronicles 26 verses 18 through 19, I believe. Okay, let's start from verse 16. The Bible says, but when he was strong, that is Uzziah, his heart was lifted up to destruction, for he transgressed against the Lord his God by entering the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. So Azariah, the priest, went in after him, and with him were 80 priests of the Lord, valiant men. And they withstood King Uzziah and said to him, it is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord. But for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense, get out of the sanctuary, for you have trespassed. You shall have no honor from the Lord God. Then Uzziah became furious, as many of us. Do you know who I am? I am the king in Israel. Oh, really? Then Uzziah became furious, and he made a censer in his hand to burn incense. And while he was angry with the priest, leprosy broke out on his forehead before the priest in the house of the Lord beside the incense altar. Instant judgment. Now, I'm bringing this point to you because you need to recognize that for this figure, Melchizedek, in an era when God did not allow or permit the journey or the commingling of these positions and functions, 
the Bible clearly tells us that this guy was not only king of Salem, which means peace, he was the king of peace. And later on, we notice in Hebrews that he was also the king of righteousness. Not only was he king of peace or king of righteousness, the Bible also says he was the priest of who? The most high God. Woo. And he did not become the prince of the most high God in Hebrews. He was prince, I'm rather priest of the most high God from Genesis chapter 14. In other words, the priesthood of Melchizedek, this mysterious figure that we seen in Hebrew summer tonight, predates the Aaronic priesthood. Did you guys hear what I just said? <laughs> he was a priest before Aaron. That, is, that has a huge implication humongous implication because Israel prided itself and rightly so that they were the custodians of the oracles of God and they were the ones that ministered before God and that they were supposed to be a light to the rest of the nations. All of those things are true. But can I tell you something tonight? God will never leave himself without a witness. Amen? Now, let me, let me say, before I get too far away from here, there was one exception to this rule about the kings and priests. Even in the Old Testament days, one exception. But I'm not going uh, to address that or talk too much about that. And that exception was just simply David. David. And there's a reason for that. And I can't get into that. If I try to get into that now, I mean, we won't get anywhere else. But, so he was a king, he was a priest, and his priesthood predates the Aaronic priesthood, which has huge implications. What do we mean? What do I mean by that? Number one, in John chapter 10, John chapter 10, Jesus made a statement in verse 16. John 10, 16, Jesus made this statement. Listen to this. He said, and other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. Now, English was not, my, was not my first tongue. For those of you guys that speak very good English, Oxford English, Cambridge English, uh, Webster's English. Look at what it says. And other sheep I have. Yes. Which means, as he was speaking to these Jews, he was implicitly telling them there were other sheep other than the Jews that he had. Right. Right. Am, I, am I stretching it? And other sheep I have which are not of this world. So which four did they belong to? Who was this other sheep? I don't know. I think it was something I was talking to yesterday. Maybe it was today. I don't know when it was. I was at the bank the other day. And I saw this young man, and based on the conversation I was having with the teller, I deduced he may, have been from a, he may have been from a place that I'm familiar with. So after the transaction was over, why are you guys laughing? 
after the transaction was over, I'm on the way out of the bank. I stopped him, talked a little bit. Uh, and what are you doing? He lived in Dubai for 10 years. He's in Atlanta now. He's a motivational speaker, and he does marriage counseling. I said, wow, marriage counseling? I'm interested. I mean, how do you do this? What, what, what do you do? So when, when I heard marriage counseling, immediately I said, he's a believer. Yes. Because marriage counseling, you understand what I'm saying? Yes, sir. He said, no, I'm a Muslim. That stopped me in my tracks right there. He said, I'm a Muslim. I said, oh, really? I said, now, t- tell me, what is it? now, he went on to, well, after he said he was a Muslim, he went on to tell me he has 500 Christian believers as a, on his client, client base. 500. 500. Now, now, that really got my attention. So I said to him, now, how, what, what do you do? How do you do? Because now I want to know, what are you telling them as a, as, as, as a Muslim in marriage counseling? Oh, he said, he, said, he, said, he said, brother, there's only one problem in marriages. He said, it's just love. It's a love issue. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I said, this, here is this Muslim guy yes. telling me about the culture of the kingdom. Yes, wow. So I said to him, I said, now, it's interesting you're saying this to me because, because this last Sunday, I just preached on love. love. I said, now, what I want to know from you is, as a Muslim, how do you acquire the spirit that gives love? I said, because from my understanding of the scriptures, it is only through the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit that the love of God can be shed abroad in anybody's heart to give out what they've received. I said, Pastor, the the truth is, in order to really say this and do this, you have to be spiritual. (laughs) Now, I don't want to take too much time on that. Why am I sharing that with you? You see, we may take pride in saying, I'm a believer, I go to work fine, I go to world changers, I'm part of the redeemed church, Presbyterian church, Methodist church, and we think that because we belong to a church, quote and unquote, that Jesus do not have others through which he can work and do what he needs to do when believers will not do it. Are you kidding me? God who spoke to an ass to get the attention of his prophet can, will use anybody when he gets ready to do so if they are so willing. I can show it to you in the scriptures. Cyrus in Isaiah chapter 45 God said he's my anointed servant an unbeliever. In other words, the moment or the instant that the Spirit of God comes upon you for a specific purpose, he anoints you for that purpose. Now, does that mean you go to heaven? No. Not necessarily, no. If you're not born again, you're not. But does that mean God cannot use anybody? He he uses whoever he deems to use. He is God. So here it tells these Jewish people, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. Now, I'm saying that to you to help you understand because all of this time, Jewish history is complete with the fact that the sanctuary of God, the tabernacle, the temple, and the attending priesthoods only belonged to Israel. 
But God says to us, I have a Melchizedek who is a king of Salem, priest of the most high God. Amen? The implications are humongous. Now you and I can appreciate Genesis chapter 12. Where God tells Abraham in verses 1, 2, 3, I will bless you and make your name great. I will make of you a great nation. Whoever blesses you, I will bless. And whoever curses you, I will curse. Then he says to him, at a time when there was no law, at a time when there was no Messiah, in you, Abraham, shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. The point I'm making is, before Israel was, God had already the entire world in his heart. The entire earth, the families of the earth were already square and center in the heart and mind of God for redemption. Yes. Israel was just a tool in the hand of God to propagate his message and to show his love and his blessings to the rest of the world. But before Israel was, God already had the nation on his heart. He had a priest already. Amen? It gets more interesting. Now, let's go to Genesis 14 for a quick second. Genesis chapter 14. Tonight we're talking on Hebrews chapter 7, the priesthood after the order of Melchizedek. Genesis 14. Verse 18. And I'm going to be addressing some things in this entire passage on Sunday morning. I want to advise you don't miss it. I'm, I'm holding myself back from not getting into it tonight uh, because it just will be too much. But on Sunday morning, I'm going to address some things about this whole passage that will help us and get a very good perspective now. Look at Genesis 14, 18. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine Again, we are told he was the priest of the Most High God. Wait a minute. This is the first time in the scriptures that we're going to see these two emblems, bread and wine. Aaronic priesthood. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Never used bread and wine for their priesthood functions. The Levitical priesthood, the Aaronic priesthood, always used bulls and goats and animals. But this priest of the Most High God, from way back that predates the Aaronic and the Levitical, when he met Abraham, he offered him bread and wine. Where else do you see bread and wine in the scriptures? Jesus at the Last Supper. And the bread and wine today are symbolic of the emblems of the new covenant. So way back in Genesis, before there was any law, before there was Aaronic priesthood, this mysterious figure who meets Abraham on the way back from a slaughter, from a victorious enterprise, offers him bread and wine. And makes a declaration to Abraham. Ah, Abraham, we salute the most high God. Who is the possessor of heaven and earth. He knew something that Aaron did not know. 
So, for, for, so, 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 way back in Genesis, we see the emblems of communion. Not the emblems of bulls or goats as in the Aaronic priesthood. Let's just press on a little bit. Let's read on. Let's go back to Hebrews chapter 7. I hope your mind is racing now to try to see this Melchizedek figure. Why Paul had to hold back and not share about him in Hebrews chapter 5 because he thought those guys were too dull of hearing and he said, you know what, I'll keep this back for another time. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 3 now. So this Melchizedek, I'm sorry, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. He was a priest in Genesis chapter 14. As we are told in Hebrews 7, he remains a priest continually. Without father, without mother, without genealogy, no beginning of days, no end of life, remains a priest continually. Who is Melchizedek? King of Salem. King of righteousness. <laughs> Hallelujah. Without father, without mother. Not beginning of days. Well, you look at it and say, well, I remember Jesus Christ being born in a manger. Wrapped in swaddling clothes. Mary was his mother. Joseph was his father. Is that really true? Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. Hallelujah. In verse 20 of Matthew chapter 1, in verse 18 first, verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph before they came together, please pay attention, next sentence, she was found with child of who? After they said there was a mother. He was found of child with child of who? The Holy Spirit. Okay, let's read on. Verse 20. Let me just jump. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife. Next sentence. For that, isn't that amazing? He said, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. So yes, I understand how we say Mary was the mother of Jesus. I get it. But truly, truly, Mary just loaned her womb to God. Because clearly the Bible says he is of the Holy Spirit. Yes. Not only that, John 3.16, we all know it. For God so loved the world, he gave what? His only begotten son. So how could it be God's only begotten son? And at the same time, you tell me that Mary was his mother. Or Joseph, Joseph his father. 
It can be both. But again, I'm not going to split ears over that. I get it. I understand. The father will say in his humanity, Mary was more. I get that. But I'm making this point because you need to know, you, you, you need to understand how this is going. Okay? All right. So, it's without father, without mother, without genealogy. And you can, understand, you can understand all of that because the truth of the matter was, or rather is, can anybody give me God's genealogy? <laughs> Simple. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God. Now, wait a minute. Something should click on you right there. In and just like Melchizedek appeared on the scene, no introduction, no genealogy, no whereabouts, he just came. King of Salem, priest of the Most High God, in the same fashion, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God. Who knows God's beginning? Who begat him? <laughs> Good question, Greg. We'll answer it in a minute. Let's read on. Hebrews, back to Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7. Verse 4. Now consider how great this man was. And that is true. To whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils. How great was he? How great was he? Let's go to John chapter 8 to answer that question. John chapter 8. Verse 56. <laughs> John 8 verse 56. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad. When did Abraham see, see him? When? When? Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. Not only that, and he saw it yes. and was glad. Then the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old and you have seen Abraham? <laughs> they think like us. Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I said to you, before Abraham was, I am. Wow. Before Abraham was, I am. Now, let me just leave the tithing issue because that's not what I want to address tonight. Verses 8 through 10. Let's go to verse 11 now. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 11. Therefore, if perfection was through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should arise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be called according to the order of Aaron. For the priesthood being changed of necessity, there's also a change of the law. For he 
of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe from which no man has officiated at the altar. So now we begin to see now is connecting Melchizedek now with the Lord Jesus Christ. You can see that clearly. Because now he's telling you, he's telling you, verse 13, for he of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe from which no man has officiated at the altar. Verse 14 is getting clearer. For it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning priesthood. And it is yet far more evident if in the likeness of Melchizedek there arises, there arises another priest who has come not according to the law of a fleshly commandment but according to the power of an endless life. For it testifies you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. In other words, let me just break that down quickly and then we're going to move on here. We are shown clearly here, perfection can never be attained under the law. Nothing was wrong with the law except that it told you what to do and what not to do, but it was weak in helping you to do it. Okay? Now, as there became a change of priesthood, when we left the Levitical Aaronic priesthood and changed to the Melchizedek priesthood, which clearly from the scriptures, Jesus did not come out of the trap of Levi. He came out of the trap of Judah. So this is a complete departure from what was. A complete departure from status quo. So God is saying once he departed from the status quo, whereby the Aaronic priesthood was a priesthood after physical descendancy. Yes. Once it departs from that, then of necessity, there must be a change in the law itself. Are you following this? This change, we are told, brings a better hope. What, what's the better hope in verse 19? It, this change now. The cha see, the, the old covenant was alright. It did what God intended for it to do. It showed and revealed the people's sins. But it, had, it did not have the ability to, to bring people near God. But this new covenant, the better hope it has for us, it allows you and I, through the power of the Spirit, to be able to be drawn nearer to God. Huge change. Now, in verse 20, we're getting something here. Look at this. And inasmuch as it was not made priest without an oath, for they have become priests without an oath, but he with an oath, by him who said to him, now this is huge, the Lord has sworn, sworn and he will not repent. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, this was spoken originally in Psalms 110 verse 4. This is huge. During the Aaronic priesthood, Aaron, Eliezer, Ithamar, and all his kids, when, as they became priests, there was no oath. There was no swearing in. Just the mere fact that they were children of Aaron, one died, the next one came in. But in this case, God said, I have sworn and I will not relent, meaning I will not change. 
I'm making you a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Picture in your mind's eyes. 2008, or was it 2009, January? Barack Obama took an oath to become the president of the United States. It was a deliberate oath taken for a tenor of four years. And unless he became crazy or something happened to him, he would keep those four years. You, you follow what I'm saying? And then there was a new, another election. He was re-elected for another four years. Notice, they did not presume that the second term, the oath of the first term carried the second term. No presumption of that. If you didn't go through the swearing in, you're not president. So God is reminding you and I, under the old covenant, these men just came in. They just wore the garments and they became priests. But with this new order, don't take it for granted that Jesus is just your most high priest. No, it's not like that. God swore an oath and placed him in the office. And the tenor of the storm was determined to be forever. There is no change in here. There is no new election here. There is no, he's not about to transfer this office to another person. I have sworn, I will not relent. You are, are making you the priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. What was the order of Melchizedek? The one that had the power of an endless life. Huge. Huge. One of the scriptures we read earlier says, even in Hebrews chapter 7, talking about Melchizedek, that he lives. Oh, okay. Let me show it to you. Because verse 8, Hebrews 7, 8. Now beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. So we know that Melchizedek was greater and better than Abraham. Okay? Here, verse 8, mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them. Present continuous. Of whom it is witnessed that he lives. So this Mechizedek priesthood does not have the limitation of death or any sort of thing. And verses 2 through 24, 22 rather, yeah, let, let me just read it quickly and I'm, I'm going to wrap this all about. All By so much Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. Also, there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. But he, because it continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. So we see Hebrews going back and forth between Melchizedek and Jesus. Interchangeably, we see him use Melchizedek and then other times he places Jesus in there. Can I submit to you tonight that they are one and the same? Melchizedek simply was a Christophany. What do I mean by that? That's a big biblical word saying the appearance of Jesus before the incarnation. Yes. Ooh. 
That's the only reason he could give Abraham bread and wine. Something that was yet to come. Is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the author and the finisher. So for him, it was not a big deal to bring what was in the future to the present. Oh, but it gets better. Now you are getting ready to really shout. This is the moment I've been waiting for. Verse 25. Let me read it and then we're going to break it down. Therefore, therefore what? Because his priesthood is based on an unchangeable priesthood. It cannot be changed. You cannot have a John F. Kennedy today. Nixon tomorrow. Jimmy Carter after. Gerald Ford. Reynold Reagan. Are you hearing me? George yes, Bush Sr. Uh, who came out? Uh, Clinton. No, 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 no. We are not going up and down. Up and down. Democrats, Republicans. No, no, no. This is going to be a straight, even kill. His disposition for judgment, for mercy, for loving kindness is going to be consistent and constant because he's the same person yesterday, today, and forevermore. It's not going to change. Amen. You have the assurance you know who and what you are dealing with constantly. Amen. He's not going to be a politician that you don't know what position is taken, depending on whether it's politically correct. No. But listen to what it says in verse 25. Therefore, is able to is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him. Since he always lives to make intercession for them. Let me just stop right there and let's just do the... If I was to ask you about intercession, how would you describe intercession? It's not a deep question. It's not a deep question. It's not a trick question. Somebody who intercedes or stands in the gap and prays for another. Is that close enough? Thank you very much. If I was to ask a next question, what is the most logical posture of intercession? Are you on your face? Are you standing up? Are you sitting down? Normally, how would normal intercessors? Don't, Don't think too deeply. You stand. You stand. As an advocate, picture a courtroom in anywhere USA. Let's go to the case of the century, O.J. Simpson. O.J. Simpson. Advocates, Johnny Cochran. Battling Masha Clark. Can you imagine for a moment Johnny Cochran sitting down and trying to present the case and saying, you know, uh, this man... He wasn't guilty. There's no real evidence. No, sir. The police messed up the no, case. Sir. They... No, sir. Can, you, can you just picture that? Yes, or the prosecution to sit down and just be filing their, 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 their fingernail and say, yeah, we got him. Uh, we have the evidence. It's there. My judge, my honor, you can see. I mean, we don't need to. Where would the case go? Nowhere, sir. But instead, what do they do? Passionately. Yes. Either of them will get up and present their case yes. with demonstrative illustration of all kinds yes, to convince the jury beyond a reasonable doubt that in fact 
this person is free and therefore the jury must find him not guilty. If the glove don't fit, you must acquit. You can't be saying that yourself. If the glove does not fit, just acquit him. If you say, nobody will believe what you're saying. So with passion, I can see Johnny Cochran trying to convey to those people if this is the case. Now, when we hear the word intercession, that's what comes to our heart. But the Bible is very clear that with the Lord Jesus Christ, after he has gone into the heavens, he sits. Yes. He's sitting at the right hand of the throne of the Father. There was only one instant when he got up to commend the bravery, the courage of Philip who has been stoned to death. That's it. Apart from that, the Bible is clear that not only is he sitting, you and I, the Bible said, are seated together with him in heavenly places. If he's sitting in that posture, then how in the heck is he living to make intercession for us? The Bible said it in Romans chapter 8 and also here in Hebrews chapter 7. He always lives, the Bible says, to make intercession for us. That's his ministry right now. I want to submit to you that Jesus is not in heaven right now making a case verbally. It cannot be. Ah, it's a holy hush. Yeah, I like that holy hush. It means you're paying attention. I'll give you a clue. Post-resurrection Jesus. John chapter 20 verse 27. He enters the room and without any pool on his part, he goes to Thomas. Thomas, look at my hands. Yes. Look at my side. Yes. What does that mean? You see, yes. Jesus does not need to speak for you and I today. The wounds on his body intercedes for you without any verbal coming out of him. Hallelujah. He sits and by mere sitting, father sees his head, the wound. Sees his hand, the wound. Sees his body, the wound. And he does not have to say anything. The wounds on his body is proof positive that the job is done. You can talk and lie, but when I'm looking at the proof, I know without a shadow of doubt you've been through it. He was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquity. Hallelujah. The price for our peace was upon him. Hallelujah. By his stripes, we are healed. Yes. Oh, hallelujah. hallelujah. Glory be to God. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. He does not have to intercede by opening his mouth. Because if he did, who, who is he talking for? Coach Case, come up, he's talking. Greg's case, come up, he's talking. Joseph, which one will he defend? But as the cases are coming, <laughs> the wounds are saying, he's taken care of. The wounds speak. You read this in Revelation chapter 5. He said, in the midst of the throne, there was a lamb slain. How did they recognize a lamb that was slain in Revelation chapter 5? 
This is what makes his priesthood far superior than the Aaronic priesthood. Far superior than anything man or woman can ever invent. Because not only did he give his life, he lives thereafter to enforce through his intercession that which he died for. And now lives to see the manifestation. Yes. Incredible. Let's just stand and just worship him tonight. Let's just give him worship tonight. Any language you have, any words that come to your mouth, just bless the Lord God this evening. Oh Lord Jesus. Oh Lord God. We are blessing you. We praise you. We magnify you. We exalt you. We acknowledge that there's none like unto you. You alone are the only true and living God. We bless you tonight, Lord God. You are the bright and morning star. You are the beginning and the ending. You are the alpha and the omega. You are the first and the last, the author and the finisher of our faith. Holy, undefiled, harmless, separate from sinners. Thank you for the power of your blood. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. We bless you tonight, Jesus. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for blessing us. Thank you for your loving kindness. Thank you for your mercy that endures forever. Your faithfulness unto all generations. Oh, we praise your name. If we had a thousand tongues tonight, we could not praise you enough. You are so magnificent. You are so marvelous. You are the most high God. The wonderful counselor. The prince of peace. The everlasting father. The mighty God. The great El Elyon. Oh, hallelujah. Jehovah Sinkenu, Jehovah Shalom, Jehovah Rapha. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you, Lord God. Oh, we praise your name, Lord. We praise your name, Lord Jesus. We praise your name, Lord Jesus. We praise your name, Lord Jesus. Oh, Blessed be the name of the Lord God. Thank you, Father God. Oh, we praise you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name. Amen. We're getting ready to go now. Let me just give you this and then we'll, we'll go. You may take back your seats. Blessed be the Lord God forever. What is the key difference between the Melchizedek priesthood and the Aaronic priesthood on top and above everything else we've said tonight? Take this with you. Unlike the Aaronic priesthood, the Melchizedek priesthood is not, hear me now, is not to obtain salvation, but to maintain it. The huge difference. It's not, it's not just to get you right with God, but to help maintain that status. Huge. It brings you in and keeps you there. That's what your Jesus has done for you tonight. That's what he's doing for you every day. That's what he's going to do for you next week, next month, next year. Every day as long as you live.
I had something in my car. I didn't bring it. Oh, I didn't drive my car tonight. We drove my wife's car. I actually placed it in my car earlier. I'm going to let you go. It's the breastplate on the heart of the priesthood. It's amazing. Because even way back in the Old Testament, the high priest didn't pray for the people. He didn't pray for them. Instead, he wore a garment on which there were 12 stones. And each stone represented each tribe of Israel. And so he just carried in his heart their names all day long. And as he did that, he stood in the gap for them. He didn't have to say anything. He was dressed and he was interceding. So now I can understand how Jesus don't have to say a thing now. I actually had the thing. I was going to bring it. I was going to bring my emblem of... <laughs> I placed it in the car earlier, earlier today. Yeah. Jesus is looking out for you right now. Amen. He's looking out for you right now. Amen. To make sure that what he obtained for you, he will maintain through Amen. you. And so, Father, we thank you again. Thank you, Lord. We bless you for your goodness and your love. Watch over your children as they go home tonight. We thank you for Johnny Moses. Bless our goings and our comings. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.